Greetings. Welcome to White's Run Baptist Church Online. We're starting a new series today called The Upward Call. And today will be the first installation of that called Open Heart, Open House. So I hope you'll join us in your copy of God's Word, or you can find our notes online and follow along in an online Bible. We'll be in Acts chapter 16. We'll be starting at verse 6, and we'll be kicking off a new series called The Upward Call. And this is a great opportunity for us to really take a look at a functional church and, and functional people accomplishing the work that God has set us to do so that we can see how it is that God works and how he works through us and how we can best cooperate with his leading in the work of his ministry to glorify God, to make him known, to see many lives saved. So it's great joy that we come to this opportunity to open God's word and learn what it means to follow him. By way of introduction, when we come to the book of Acts in chapter 16, we've got Paul, Silas, Luke, and some others traveling, spreading the gospel. And early in Acts chapter 16, we learn that they meet a young man named Timothy and they pick him up and take him along the way uh, from a city called Lystra. They're planting churches, they're encouraging people, they're strengthening the churches. And then eventually what they'll do is they'll come back through the uh, churches that they planted, encouraging people, appointing elders, and then they write and they visit at other times. And so this is part of the process we're seeing in the book of Acts and the planting and encouragement to these churches. By the time we get to Acts 16, verse 6, we see Paul and the crew are prevented from going the way they were thinking they would go into Asia. But Paul was given direction in a vision. And we're going to read about that. They came then to Macedonia, which is where the, the vision led Paul to go. And it was their first excursion into Europe, the first uh, official accounting of the gospel going into Europe. Of course, the gospel had already gone into Europe because we know from the day of Pentecost, there were many people, many Jews who carried the message of the gospel all around the world. But indeed, now this is Paul coming and officially planting churches and completing what people understood and knew about Jesus Christ. So we're going to see these first conversions in Europe take place in a Roman colony called Philippi. Now we'll talk more about Philippi as we get into the series, uh, but it was a very interesting city and it was, as some scholars and historians like to say, they called it a Rome away from Rome. And it was uh, a Roman colony with uh, a very great success, very great market, uh, a lot of things there that were genuinely Roman, which we'll get into as we get into the series. And I'll have some pictures for you and some backgrounds and things like that that should be helpful to you. Now, what we see in Acts 16, we're going to look at verses 6 through 15. God directed Paul and his companions to where he was working already in other people so that they could reap a harvest of souls for the glory of God. Here we learn some of the keys of being part of such great things. And this is a part of the series called The Upward Call. The upward call of God is to be like Jesus Christ, to experience and know and become more Christ-like. The sermon series is focused on the mindset and 
the practices that produce progress in response to this upward call. This series will encourage us to strain forward to what lies ahead for us in our life in Christ and most importantly to help others do the same. So let's take a look at the scriptures and let's start in Acts chapter 16 verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Well, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we have read your scriptures. We're going to look through them more closely. We're going to share these things. And Lord, we pray that your spirit will give us understanding of these things. Give us the understanding of how we ought to respond and give us the faith, the encouragement, the strength to respond in a way that will be pleasing to you. We thank you for these words and we ask you to bless them in their reading and in their exposition. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we have a fairly simple passage, uh, but there's some very interesting details in this passage. And I want to begin with the beginning of this passage where we notice that they went through the region and in verse 7, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so this is very interesting. The Holy Spirit was the key here. We need to be, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And indeed, this is a major theme of the book of Acts. In fact, some people have argued that the book of Acts should be properly called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's generally called the Acts of the Apostles, uh, but generally it's just abbreviated Acts. But Indeed, it should be the acts of the Holy Spirit because that is a major theme. At the beginning of the book, we have Jesus telling the disciples, you're going to wait in Jerusalem. In other words, don't do anything. Stay in Jerusalem until you receive power. And that power was the Holy Spirit of God, which then empowers the ministry all the way through the book of Acts. So they were prevented by the Spirit going into Asia or Bithynia. 
And it's interesting, in verse 6, it's referred to as the Holy Spirit, and in verse 7, it's referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. And this is important, this is the same thing. The Holy Spirit is this Spirit of Jesus. He was sent by Jesus, but he's also referred to as being sent by the Father. And so Father, Son, and Spirit being one God are are united in this. And we can call it the Spirit of God. We can call it the Spirit of Jesus, call it the Spirit of the Father, but or just call it the Holy Spirit or just the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God, one Spirit uh, of our one God. Now, the interesting thing is they were prevented and they, they were forbidden and they were prevented from going in that. That is, they were not allowed. And how that works out, we're not told. We don't really know how they knew that they were prevented. Was it just circumstances prevented them and they interpreted that as the work of God? Or were they praying about it and just had this great feeling that they ought not to do that? Indeed, that is often how it works. When you receive the Holy Spirit of God, it's almost like having your conscience amped up because the Holy Spirit guides you in such a way. You pray about things, especially when you pray about them together, because together the Holy Spirit will say the same thing to all of you. And together you can come to a consensus. I really think the Spirit's doing this, or I think the Spirit's doing that. Now here in this situation, we don't know whether they were prevented by circumstance or just by the leading of the Spirit to go into these places, but it really doesn't matter. He will speak to us in both, both in our circumstances and in our conscience as we pray to Him, as we're in fellowship with Him, as we read God's Word, as we speak to one another in Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit will lead and the interesting thing is up to this point, Paul's journeys have gone pretty good. Now he's had trouble. He's, he seems to stir up trouble in every town he goes to, but they've been to many different places. They've had many converts and they've pretty much gone where they wanted to go. The word was going out. It was being received um, and they were having some success. But then the, this beginning of this passage sounds a, like a bit of a setback, like, well, they were planning to go into here, but they were forbidden to go into Asia. And they planned to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not allow them. And so this is a, it seems to snag a bit of a difficulty, but we see it's very quickly resolved. When they're in Troas, uh, he receives a vision about which way to go. And so this is encouraging. This is super encouraging because when you study the Bible and when you read the book of Acts and you, you read about the Apostle Paul, you start to get the feeling that this guy is somehow different, like he's superhuman, like he's this, this perfect Christian that never makes mistakes and, and just has it within himself to do everything that needs to be done. But we see right here, that is not really true. He relied upon the Holy Spirit of God the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that dwells in you if you are in Jesus Christ. So he depended upon the same spirit available to us. The things that Paul did were powered by this Holy Spirit. The things that you do in Christ are powered and guided by this same Holy Spirit. Paul needed it. And I know when I read Paul, And I study what Paul did in the book of Acts. I know I will never be as intelligent as Paul. I'll never be as savvy in the scriptures. I'll never be as bold or as wise in the ways of the world as Paul is. But I have the same spirit. 
And this episode gives me hope because it is that same spirit that could empower me to be anything that I need in Christ to accomplish his work. Well, in verse 9, we get to this vision that he has. Paul has a vision in the night, a man of Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us out. Uh, That's really fascinating because as far as having dreams and and visions, these are things that are fairly common in the Bible. In fact, if you search the the concept of a dream or vision, uh, you find them literally hundreds of times in the Bible, from the narratives to the prophets to here in the book of Acts and things described in the letters and especially the book of Revelation, which it seems to be all one massive vision that was given to John. So Paul has this vision in the night and having visions was prophesied. In Acts chapter 2, Peter even quotes Joel chapter 2, an Old Testament prophet. That's the scriptures Peter had. That's the scriptures he was using. And he quotes it in that when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there would be dreams and visions. And these things happen very often in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. Now, Jesus promised us that we would be led by the Spirit, that the Spirit would come to be with us forever. I'll refer you to John chapter 14 and 16 to really see what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is all about. He was telling us that he would dwell with us, the Spirit that is, and be in us. And it attaches a continuity with Jesus because in John chapter 14 verse 16 look what Jesus says here he says I'll ask the father and he will give you another helper this Greek word another means another of the same kind he's referring to himself and the Holy Spirit I'm going to send the Holy Spirit that's going to be like me being with you and indeed that's exactly what it is and so he equates the presence of the Spirit in his disciples with himself. And that's why Acts 16, 7, as we saw, calls it the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus. He does not leave us or forsake us. That's the context of what he was teaching his disciples there in Acts chapter 14. He will not leave us or forsake us. Be open then to this leading of the Spirit Now, I'm not saying you'll have dreams or visions. I am saying you don't need them. The Spirit will lead you as you stay in touch with Him by prayer and in the Word of God and the fellowship of His people. And in the book of Acts, this is what we see. They seem to know what to do, and they do it. The disciples, by the influence and power of the Holy Spirit, are getting the job done. So it's a Spirit of God that will accomplish God's purposes in his people. Even in the Old Testament, when Zerubbabel, who was tasked with the seeming impossibility of rebuilding the temple after their exile, the the city of Jerusalem was in, in shambles and the people had been allowed to go back from their exiles. God said, okay, your exile's finished. He put it in the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to send the people back. The people come back, and now God tasks them with rebuilding the temple. 
because they need to get back to worshiping God. And it was an impossible task because Zerubbabel was facing resistance from the other people that were settled in the land by that time, by the non-Jewish people there, giving sometimes violent resistance to what was going on. And indeed, even the people that were Jews that were there were hesitant to help because they had their own concerns. They were concerned with getting their own lives forward. There was some apathy among them, and there was also some fear of the people around them. And what happens if we rebuild this thing? People are going to be upset. But God gives Zerubbabel the prophet Zechariah. And the prophet Zechariah addresses Zerubbabel on this issue. And he says this, God says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, God was saying, it's my spirit that's going to accomplish this, Zerubbabel, not your great power, not by my great might or signs or wonders, but my spirit is going to put it in your hearts, going to put it in the hearts of others to get this work done. And that's precisely what happened. Zechariah's hope was that the Spirit of God was about the task. And so that became Zerubbabel's hope. Zerubbabel's task was finished, and Jesus saw that temple and ministered at it. So be open to the Spirit of God, because it is the Spirit of God that will accomplish the work of God. Be open also to the opportunity to witness. We talked about being open to the Spirit of God. Be open also to the opportunity to witness as Paul was here. So they go to Macedonia, and the first person mentioned in Macedonia, the first Macedonian we meet by name, is Lydia, a seller of purple. And so purple was an important commodity. It was a rare dye. It was an expensive dye. So if you sold things that were purple, you were selling a premium item. And she's in Philippi where the purple things were not made. So she was some kind of a broker, a business owner or something uh, in Philippi where the people are probably traveled a great deal because of her work and was an independent business person. Um, Paul sees a vision, however, of a man. Why did he see a vision of a man? And the first person really mentioned by name here in Macedonia is Lydia. Did he ever meet that man? Was it just a vision of some man or was this a specific man? We don't really know, but the narrative shows us Lydia first. Paul and the others saw these women at the riverside in a place of prayer and spoke to them. There was no pulling Paul aside. Hey, you know, your vision was of a man. Shouldn't we be looking for him? Yeah, those women are praying over there, but let's go find the man that you saw. No, they, they were open to the opportunity to speak to whom they found. And not only were they open to the opportunity, they made that opportunity. They sought out a place on the Lord's day and went there and spoke with these women, by the way, against societal norms. And this, of course, was met with success. Paul and the others were ready to open the opportunity to share the gospel. And that's what we see happen here. But the question is, why must we always be open and ready to share it? And the answer is found in our text. The answer is because God is already working. 
when we meet someone and we're thinking about witnessing to them, what we need to understand is we must witness to them. We must witness to everyone at every opportunity. We don't need to think about whether or not we can convince that person. We don't need to think about whether or not it's appropriate at this time and place to talk about these things. We don't need to think about whether or not they want to hear it. We must be ready, and here's why. God may already be at work in that person. Let me show you from the scripture what we see going on there. We see going on in verse 14, Lydia was a worshiper of God, a worshiper of God. An important point because that means that God was already at work there. This implies that she was not quite a full Jewish proselyte. In other words, it would have used the word proselyte if she had already been kind of adopted into Judaism and had gone through the you know, the testing and the procedure to become a Jew, uh, Jewish proselyte. But um, she was openly worshiping the true God. So she was seeking truth. Now, there's no mention in Philippi of a synagogue. Paul's pattern and his normal pattern was to start at the synagogue until they got tired of him and he made them angry and they asked him to leave. Then he'd take his ministry on to to the Gentile people in the town as well. But Paul normally started with the synagogue. But what this tells us about the city of Philippi is that the city of Philippi must have had a very small Jewish population to not have a synagogue. The fact that she was a worshiper of God, that she was seeking, that she was praying, shows that God was already at work in her. The scriptures make it very clear that no one seeks God of their own accord. No, not one is the emphasis in Romans chapter 3. And it's quoting the Old Testament. This is a broad biblical fact that people of their own accord do not seek God. In fact, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So if you meet somebody that is seeking, it's a beautiful and wonderful sign to you that God is already at work, that this is an open heart potentially. Now, of course, the scripture plainly says that God was at work in her because look what else it says in verse 14 back there. Let me get back there just very quickly. In verse 14, it said, um, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So the Lord opens her heart. This is the promise of Jesus played out. When we read about the Holy Spirit and what Jesus says, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit's going to come to his people when he comes. He'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That he will guide you into all truth, he says, when the spirit of truth comes. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit, and we have to be open to the opportunity to share the gospel all the time because God is already working. God is already right now working in people that you know, working in people that you pray about. Now, if you're not praying about somebody, you're not interested in somebody, maybe God's not working there, but you know where it all begins is with prayer. What moves the Spirit of God but the prayers of the people of God? And it begins with prayer, and God it may already be working.
In fact, when I learned one particular evangelism program, we were taught that when someone believed and someone repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, one of the first things you would ask them was, who has been praying for you? And it's interesting because I've done that and they almost always know who's praying for them. They'll say, oh, my mamaw's been praying for me or, you know, my friend Jim's been praying for me. He's been trying to talk to me. I haven't been open to him. And, and you know, gee, and the first thing you got to do is call that person and let them know the good news and share the good news so you can celebrate together because God is already at work in people. And that's amazing because we look around at the world and we see the difficulty in the world and we see the darkness in the world now more than ever probably and the blindness of people, the willing blindness of most. And we're, we don't realize the power of God to already be at work beneath the surface. And you might be the one who comes along at just the right time with the truth of the gospel to see the benefit and the harvest. Now, I want to be balanced here. God opened her heart. Yes, indeed. God gets all the glory for salvation, always. But our conversion process and our growth in Christ are not passive endeavors. We participate. She paid attention to what, God got, to what Paul said. God put it in her heart to pay attention, but she paid attention. She's the one that actually paid attention, listened to what he said, did not reject it, did not refuse it, did not make prejudgments based upon who he was and what she knew so far. She listened. We must be open to the opportunity to witness, but we also must be open to receive the word of God. See, we witness by sending out the word of God. We believe and we grow by receiving the word of God. The word of God is our currency in the kingdom of God. So we have to be open also ourselves to the word of God. And that's the next thing. We must be open to the word of God. In verse 14, it says, uh, that she paid attention to what was said by Paul. The word there for said is a conversational word. In other words, Paul wasn't preaching. This was a proclamation. This was a conversation he was having with this woman. And she was open to what he had to say. And what she knew and what she'd learned to this point was at least partially completed then by the gospel truth that Paul brought. She believed and was baptized and her household with her. And that's a sign that they really believed because they took that step of obedience of being baptized. Those that will be saved must hear the word of God and must be open to the word of God. I have heard of no human being being saved against their will. Yes, they resist for a time. Yes, they may even stubbornly resist for a time. But ultimately, if we are to be saved, we at some point yield. Our will is brought around to the will of God and we repent and we believe. The Spirit works in us. We pay attention to what is said. Now, we're given no details of what Paul said here, but we know that it's the Word of God, and it's the Word of God that accomplishes the will of God. Paul makes it very plain to Timothy in his letter that, hey, Timothy, you got to preach the Word. It's the Word that is effective for changing people. It's the Word that's effective for getting things done. 
when we look in the Old Testament, we find out that, you know, that's from the beginning. God says, it's a word, my word that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. You just said this is all the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that accomplishes this, that draws people, that saves people, that causes the rebirth. Yeah, I did say that very plainly. But his currency, what the Holy Spirit uses, is the Word of God. And he uses it through the people of God. And that's what Jesus said. It's, a, it's about Jesus Christ. All the Word of God is about Jesus Christ. All of it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said, And I, if I am lifted, lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. It is the story of Christ. It is his crucifixion and his resurrection that we proclaim and that God uses to the benefit of those who hear. We know that was Paul's method because Paul plainly teaches about it. And when he gets to the book of Romans, it's like his long version of the gospel. He explains the whole gospel truth there. And it's uh, Paul that wrote Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. He says there, quoting the Old Testament, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on, he says, how then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Paul and the others were sent by the church in Antioch to go and do exactly what they were doing, spread the gospel of truth. And then he goes on to say, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. <laughs> Feet are not often thought of as being beautiful, but when they bring the gospel, indeed they are, and they're beautiful to God, and that's what matters most. Paul told Timothy in a letter, and Timothy's with him there in Philippi, he says, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the Word of God that has to be the focus of our conversations. Lydia paid attention, and she and her household were transformed from death to life. We ourselves have to be open to the Word of God all, at all times, not just to be saved, but for all of our sanctification, all of our continued improvement and setting apart for the work of the ministry. He goes on to say to Timothy in that letter, if we look at the next two verses there in 2 Timothy, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So all of our equipping, this comes from the word of God and our correction, our reproof, our teaching. So it needs to be what we are feeding on. It needs to be what we are feeding to others at all times, the word of God. Well, finally, uh, as you see there in the, in the verses there, it says um, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That brings us to our final point here. We need to be open to serving God's people. The end of this little pericope here, this little paragraph in the scripture is very fascinating because what we see here is that Lydia begins the work of serving people right away. I'll get back here in just a moment. 
And so we'll see uh, right here in chapter 16, verse 15, after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us. Now Luke's with him. That's why all of this is in the, the first person, plural, we, us, and everything. Saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. In other words, if you think mine to be a genuine faith, you come stay with me. And Luke says she prevailed upon us. Look, a woman that's in the business of of selling purple goods, a luxury item, something that people don't necessarily need, uh, she's probably pretty good sales salesperson. And so here we see, you know, she prevailed upon us, as I would expect from what we know about Lydia. So be open to serving God's people. This is the distinctiveness of being Christian. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 13. The night that he's taken, when he said all that about the Holy Spirit and everything, this is right there in the context. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And look, it's the distinctive of the people of God. Verse 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This is what we call hospitality, this form of love that Lydia gives. To have them to her house, to open her home is hospitality. This is commanded by Paul in Romans chapter 12. And when he wrote that in Romans chapter 12, you know, maybe Paul's thinking about Lydia or others who had shown it to him through the years, opening their homes, opening their hearts to him and and his companions and Luke and Silas and Timothy and the others that traveled with him. And then Luke or Paul even speaks in the books of Timothy and Titus, the letters that he wrote to those guys, he lists hospitality among the qualifications for leadership, matching then the biblical concept of servant leadership. Remember Jesus said, whoever will be greatest among you must be the least. And he said, I myself didn't come to to be served, but to serve. Hospitality provides the context for good quality ministry. And this shows then the genuineness of her conversion. It's illustrated by the fact that right away she bears fruit in righteous deeds. Right away, as all true faith will. There's no delay in her works that follow her true faith. She begins to serve immediately as part of the body of Christ. But I want you to see a bigger picture here. Not only is she, uh, is she part of this now, she is part of the process because by hosting Paul and the others, she is now part of their ministry. And this is very important. She's part of this whole thing of pulling in the same direction with all the body of Christ and Paul and Timothy and Silas all playing their part. They are all pulling people upward, responding to this upward call, making the upward call to others. And as important as Paul's proclamation and the others is, it's absolutely essential to their mission that they have a place to stay and that they have food to eat. Now, they could work and often did work when they went from town to town. They would find local work, they would pay their own way, they would pay to stay somewhere. But if someone opened their home to them, well then that gave them all the more time and resources to focus on the work of spreading the gospel. 
So now she is part of the mission. The mission of all of us is to go and make disciples. Lydia was already a day in to being a believer in Jesus Christ, making disciples by helping Paul and the others. And this is profoundly important for us to see that this church is a body. Your local believers are a body of Christ. Now, if you're not joined with local believers, it's difficult to see that. But you must join with your local body of believers, wherever it is that you are, and be a part of the ministry. And you might be saying to yourself, that kind of thing's not for me. I'm no Paul. I can't go walk up to a stranger and talk to him. So help someone who will. So introduce people you know to someone of your body that does that. But be involved. Everyone is involved. That is the rule. If there's a rule about what to do in church, it's be involved. Get involved. And Lydia gets involved right away. She gets involved with the mission of Jesus Christ. So this is our mission, the upward call. We're calling others to Christ, all of us playing a role, helping one another with our own upward call. We're accountable together. We minister together. We make disciples together. This is the upward call in Jesus Christ. What I want to invite you to do today is join in this upward call of Christ beginning today. Be open to the word of God that says life is found only in Jesus Christ. And this is true. And you see lives transformed like Lydia's over and over again in this great work of the ministry of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. Your life can be changed as well. And you can change the lives of those you know. Did you notice her whole household followed suit? The best chance for your household to be to, to know God, to be saved from their sins, to spend eternity with him instead of paying for their sins, their best chance is that you be involved. You be involved with Jesus Christ, not just involved, but you be saved by him. Repent of your sins and trust in him because his crucifixion was about paying our sin debt. Only in Jesus Christ is the debt of our sin paid to God. And in him is the resurrection. And he says he gives life to those who believe. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Repent of your sins. Trust in him. And be open then to sharing that faith with others. Because know this, you need only to open your mouth because you have the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, you should learn. Yes, you should equip. But no, you should not wait. You should not wait to share your faith with others. Just do it prayerfully. Pray about it and then open your mouth and pray that the Holy Spirit would open hearts. Pray that the Holy Spirit would open your mouth to say the right things because it is God that's working this in people already. You have no idea who he's working in right now until you open your mouth and approach him. Another part of the invitation is develop new habits that will help you to be open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. When we read the passage, it doesn't say precisely how the Holy Spirit made it known to these men. 
But we do know this from what Jesus speaks about in John chapter 15, that the key to taking part in this, the key to having this indwelling Holy Spirit is to abide. That is to make him our dwelling place. And we make him our dwelling place by constantly being around his people, by constantly being encouraged by his word. It's the word of God that is God breathed. It's the spirit of God that moved men of old to write these things down. The Bible was assembled by the spirit of God and it brings forth the word which is Jesus Christ himself. And so be involved with the word, reading and studying the word of God. Be involved in the fellowship, other people that are filled with the spirit so that together you can minister and affirm one another in what's going on. Jesus promised a special blessing on those who gather together in his name. It's something that only comes in a group. It doesn't necessarily come individually. Now you can know God individually. You can be full of the spirit. You can pray, you can read, you can study all those things by yourself. But it's when you do that in conjunction with other people of God, that magnificent things really begin to happen. Serve in your local church and be open to serve in a way that God has gifted you. He has gifted you somehow. He will put it in your heart to serve in some way that will be helpful to the pushing forward of the ministry in your local body. Be part of this upward call in Christ as you respond to your own upward call. Become more like him by seeing him for who he is. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you this day. We thank you for bringing us together for this time. And Lord, I pray that you just bless this time together. May we see there in the book of Acts how it is that you work among your people. The miraculous nature of what you do for, Lord, for any of us to turn to you and know you, it is a miracle. For anyone to be saved is a miracle. And Lord, I pray that you would just minister mightily to us that miracle today. Grow us in Christ. Teach us. Give us the faith to serve you, to know you, to know our place in the body of Christ and the boldness to step into it. Lord, I pray today that you would indeed accomplish your work in your people to make yourself known and to bring together a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Lord, we thank you. Thank you so much for bringing us together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. May you be praised. May you get all the glory and honor for it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invite you to join us uh, online. You can learn more about us at whitesrun.org. And you can also contact us at whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com. Uh, that email address will be responded to personally bias. And so you, you can uh, know that someone will read that, a human being. We won't put you on any hokey mailing list. We'll answer your questions and we'll help you in your walk and in your upward call. May God bless you richly. And indeed, may you enjoy this day in Jesus Christ.